Hi, everybody. Welcome to Six Months Later, the podcast 180 Days in the Making. It's the podcast where we talk to interesting people about their lives and their hopes for the future. And then we check in with them again in six months to see if they've deciphered the clues we've given them during the first part of the interview and discovered where we've hidden their medication. <laughs> I am your host, Matthew Shadorn, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Tara Newton-Wordsworth. Hi. Hi. Hey, Tara. How have you been? I have been very good. Thank you, Matt. Yeah. How have you been? Great. We're kicking off season two. Yes, uh, exciting. It's, it's March 15th, 2021. Uh, we took a month off because I, I had a baby and uh, you suggested it taking a month off and it was yeah. a good suggestion. <laughs> Thank you. A Thank you, Very worthwhile thing doing. But yeah, we're back now. How has your month off been? It's been really nice. I think, yeah, it's been nice kind of just having that thing of less to do has been nice. Not that I don't love doing this podcast because I do, mm. but it was more just, I think life's been quite sort of, I don't know, just full on. Life is full on when you have children and you have other projects and stuff. And I don't know, it was just nice to have a bit of relaxing time in the evenings with my husband. Just trying to think if there's been anything. I feel like, so oh yeah, my, my kids got their Australian citizenships finally come through, which was great. Yay. They're finally Australian, so I can get their passports. And that's really nice because, you know, where I'm from, Western Australia is officially one of the safest places to be in the world right now. So that's nice. Yeah. But I'm not there. Um, <laughs> Which is a pity. No, it's fine. I love, I love being here convincingly. <laughs> what about you, Matt? How has your, your week? been what's been going on or your four month or your four weeks been rather that fine big news is i quit my job on friday so exciting um, congratulations how are yeah. you feeling about it uh i'm okay i mean i say i quit my job i quit my job in the way that you know you see in tv shows where they're like you can't fire me i quit because <laughs> i had a very terrible performance review on friday and one of the potential outcomes was me just being let go because it was a it was a probationary review because like like the last couple of months, I've just been really bad at my job because I've been stressed out and working from home and whatever, and it's just been anxiety and having the baby didn't help. And but yeah, and then I came home from the review and I told Alice. The more we talked about it, the more she was like, "Actually, it'd be kind of great if you were didn't work because then uh, you could be at home with me all the time, and I'm probably gonna get really bored being at home with a baby all the time by myself. So <laughs> and it will be very difficult. So it'll be good for you to be able to help out. Yeah. Oh my god. And she's like, you know, we will probably have to dip into our savings. But then what are the savings for anyways? Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So and she's always been the major breadwinner anyways in her house. So even now when she's on maternity leave and making half her salary, she was still making more money than I was making working full time. And, wow. Uh, and yeah, so it, we were like, yeah, let's just do that. And then that was it. I didn't have to do like a notice period or whatever. I'm just out. So that's nice. And um, wow. yeah, I don't know. It's weird. It's I, I wanted I didn't go there to do a bad job, but it turns out that's what I did. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So part of me feels kind of like a loser because I, I didn't I couldn't handle what was should be a fairly simple administrative job. But then at the same time, I was just like, I didn't care. And my boss is very stressful. And so, yeah, I'm I'm glad to be out of there. So and I'm glad to be able to spend more time with my little boy. That's beautiful. And my lovely wife and with all my very important podcasts. So. <laughs> well, do you know what? I I don't know. I felt in, in some ways so grateful when I was not just obviously because I wanted to have children, but the freedom to not have to be in like one of those jobs anymore, which, you know, like I was never, I always found them really stressful. I always found, I think I've always found working for other people stressful and like really anxiety yeah. inducing. And I'm much better at starting my own businesses of which I've started a few. I've had a few different companies that I've started and had different people working for me or just like now I have my app that I've built and digital 
digital products and stuff, which is fantastic because I have complete control over it and I don't have someone bossing me around. And I think sometimes you're just designed for that. Like that's what you're better at. You're just better at being your own boss. And you know, like that's who you are, Matt. You're like very creative. Wait, I don't want to say who you are, but as in you're a very creative person. You're very good at like- People know who I am. My name's on the thing. (laughs) But you know, like you started like- you started comedy in Oxford, essentially. You started the Oxford Comedy Festival. You start, you know, you're so good at creating stuff. And yeah. I don't know. I think sometimes that's just, if that's the kind of person you are, then that's fantastic. Just embrace that and keep creating, you know? Yeah. So I'm really proud of you. I think that's awesome. And I'm I'm really happy for you. And yeah, I hope that goes well. And I think, think it's so. beautiful that Alice is so supportive as well with it. And just, you know, it sounds like the right decision. Like in my head, I, I had built up this thing where if I quit my job or, you know, didn't wasn't working, she would be very mad at disappointed and she was kind of just like no i saw how how anxious the job makes you how much anxiety it was causing you and frankly i'd rather have you here and then she was really yeah she was really great and supportive about it i don't know she was like you know what we could do we could go when we can do international travel again maybe we could fly to florida and just spend uh, like a month with your parents at your parents house swimming in the pool and whatever yeah that'd be nice and my parents can see the baby they haven't seen the baby and you know yeah that would be awesome yeah so that might be fantastic i uh it was sammy's second birthday over the weekend oh yeah and yeah, I'm just blown away by that. Like he's such a beautiful boy and he's just, I don't know, it's really fun. Like I, I love being a mom. I think more and more every day. I'm just like, oh my God, like I'm just so grateful. Yeah. So definitely recommend it guys. If you're thinking of getting pregnated. <laughs> it's really a personal decision. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, uh, I certainly wouldn't pressure anyone into doing it because I also think it's the hardest thing you can probably do in your life. Yeah. It's just, just what, go with, go with what you're feeling. Actually don't, don't listen to your ovaries. They will, they'll catch you out. But anyway. Yeah. And also you, you know, you say you wouldn't pressure anybody. I also would go as far to say you shouldn't pressure anybody to be having a children. <laughs> I would, I would definitely say don't pressure anyone yeah, don't to have children yeah, because no. if you don't want them, you should definitely not have them because yeah. they are really hard even when you do want them. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of like, I don't know. I'm six weeks in and I'm still on the fence. So. <laughs> and then it's that, that realization of like, jeepers, I have to keep doing this every day for years. <laughs> yeah, it's like Forever. So, so when's somebody coming to pick this kid up? <laughs> oh, not for 18 years? Oh, okay. Oh, cool. Great. Yeah, oh, wow. Yeah. No, but it's it's amazing. And it was Mother's Day yesterday. And ironically, oh, the yes. best uh, the best part of Mother's Day for most people seems to just be being given like five minutes to yourself away from your children <laughs> to like have a bath or something. <laughs> yeah. What did you do for Mother's Day? I forgot. It was a happy Mother's Day, by the way. Yeah. Thank you, Matt. I sent you a message. <laughs> <laughs> you did, actually. That was really sweet. Oh, I got to sleep in till oh. 7.30. That was pretty special. Wow. So that's like the latest I've slept in in a long time. So yeah, it was it was a nice day. But anyway. Any big predictions for six months time? I think in six months time, I think, I don't know. Do you have any predictions? <laughs> wow, I was trying to think of, I thought I had a prediction earlier. Big build up there. I'm trying to remember where it was now. Okay, you think of your prediction. I will think six months time. We're looking at September. I'm predicting, and I know I was very positive this about this, literally like... When did we start this? It was must be yeah. I don't know. I was I was saying a similar thing kind of about nine months ago, and that was completely cancelled. So I don't want to like jinx this, but I am predicting that in six months' time we will be allowed to go maybe back to Australia again, mm. and I am hoping that I will be able to go back. That we'll you know we'll all be able to go back uh, and maybe be over there for a few months. Just yeah, for this. I just don't think I can do another full winter in England. I I really find it difficult. <laughs> So <laughs> this hell nation. <laughs> I don't get. I just don't get it. I don't know why people live over here. Like, I mean, I live here, but I don't know yeah. why. That's, that's it. Does thing. feel like for those who don't live in Britain, 
and have not consciously made the decision to move to Britain. For those of us who have decided to move to Britain, it is almost like you wake up one day from a dream and you are in Britain and you can't really like coherently put together the pieces of the life decisions that brought you to Britain or why it seemed like a really good idea at the time. Yeah. So, but also at the same time, you're kind of just like, yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah. There are days where I'm like, this is so beautiful. On the days when the sun shines, I'm literally like, this is the most gorgeous country and I love it so much. Yeah. But just all the gray, drizzly days, I just, it's just so depressing, you know. Yeah. Anyway, so I am hoping that I will be in Australia, maybe not in six months exactly, but I hope that we'll be allowed to go back then. And uh, I just hope that the, the world will be back to some kind of normal. I feel like I'm going to like sob when I can hug people again i'm probably just gonna like mm. even like randoms that i don't even like care that yeah. much about i feel I'm like when say, i'm gonna get that out of your system before we see each other in person again i feel like i wouldn't even try to hug you anyway because it was the one time i've tried to hug you it was probably the most awkward interaction i've ever had with someone so i, I don't think i'll attempt that again so don't worry yeah it was not pleasant I, <laughs> I okay so here's what i think is gonna be in six months i think people will start going out again and here's what i'm saying people invest now in movie theaters i think movie theaters are gonna be packed Movie theaters, they're the Movie next theaters. big thing. <laughs> Have you guys seen the picture shows? <laughs> come to the, the pictures. fella. <laughs> They come from Hollywood, USA. Um, I don't know. I just feel like, uh, yeah, I'm like, I bet when people can go to the movies, like, number one, I think some theaters have shut down, which I think is, a, is an absolute shame. I think maybe some theater chains have, are not coming back, which is, I think, a travesty. But I think, so there'll be fewer screens, but I think people will be so desperate to just, like, go and, like, have that communal experience of going to the movies. And I think a lot of, I think that's going to be the case for a lot of things. I think comedy, every comedy show we do, like, we, I think that's the only thing that, because I was, I think I'd said on an earlier podcast that I was worried about that I have pretty much forgotten my entire act. So I have like mm. no jokes left. And and every <laughs> joke I had feels irrelevant after this last year. Yeah, like, oh my God, I know what you mean. Not only have I moved on as a person, like the world's moved on <laughs> as, a, as a people. But I feel like people will be so grateful to see any human being spouting any nonsense that I think we'll be able to coast on just bullshitting on stage for months. I think that we'll be able to go get away with maybe even through the whole rest of the year, just going up on stage and being like, huh, we're all outside, huh? It is going to be great. Yay. No doubt. All right. Let's get on to our, we have an amazing guest to kick off our second season. So with no further ado, let's go speak to our amazing guest, Mr. Chris Gethard. Woohoo. Okay. Please welcome to the show, comedian, podcaster, host of Beautiful Anonymous and New Jersey is the World, Chris Gethard. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing quite well. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. Thanks for thanks for being on the show. We normally start off the show just with sort of finding out where you're at at the moment, because obviously we'll be talking to you again in six months time. So we lo love to hear about like what you've been up to recently and what's going on in your life right now. So I guess the broad strokes of where I'm at are happy have a lucky life no one in my immediate sphere has gotten sick nice. obviously just like everybody i find my own frustrations i think the main thing for me is that stand-up comedy has been taken away i think i did half a dozen outdoor shows when that was a possibility and they got very cold here in the northeast of the u.s so i've done six shows in a year plus now which for me i mean i started doing comedy when i was 20. Yeah. i don't think there's been a month where i've done less than three or four shows in 20 years mm. um so that yeah. feels a little bit like 
like I've got this, I don't want to be too hyperbolic, but like definitely some muscles atrophying and almost kind of feels like, I guess the analogy would, I hope this isn't too dramatic, but it would be like if someone just like tied one of my arms to my body for a year and didn't let me use one of my limbs. Like it's that much mm. a part of my being. Yeah. So you can imagine that that leads to a lot of frustration. Stand up is also, you know, it's very hard, very challenging, helps you kind of take your mind off of other things. And then there's also the ego side of it, which is, you know, you get up there and it goes well, it definitely gives you a dopamine kick, makes you feel good about yourself, gives you the adrenaline rush. So mm-hmm. to be very, very accustomed to that being a part of my routine and sort of of my my mental makeup, that's made it very tough. And that's, that's led to a lot of situations where I think I'm, I've been in my head a little more than I would like to be. And that's always been a dangerous thing for me. And it's also led a lot of to a lot of examination of, okay, well, I've also been able to spend so much time with my son and my wife, and I've had dinner at home with them almost every single night the yeah. past year and the com- lifestyle of a comedian, that is not generally the case. So I look at all the silver linings. I, I think about my relationship overall with the comedy scene. It's, it's giving me a lot of desires about setting some new standards for myself or some new ethics when stand-up does come back and then in the meantime I, I mean the whole New Jersey project was born out of me saying I need another project of, <laughs> I need a project to fill the time and then also yeah. a very intentional choice of I want to make this with friends like everyone involved in it or rather three of the four people involved in it are just friends of mine from my hometown there's there's one other comedian who who for 10 years has been close with me and some of that is realizing that work relationships are not friendships like it's a different kind of friendship mm. and that I've relied for most of my life on convincing myself that but people get new jobs move to new cities find other priorities and all of a sudden your friends aren't as close as you thought and i think for a lot of people in my i would actually have to imagine for a lot of artists there's some loneliness there's some loneliness to feel like oh like nobody's really reaching out to me i don't have many people to reach out to oh that's because we are friends in the sense that we see each other in bars and comedy clubs all the time but right so the new jersey thing was definitely an intentional effort to go you know these are people i've known since i was 13 years old and this is going to be rooted in that so that's the broad jokes as far as like hobbies and stuff to fill my time most of it is i moved out of new york city we bought a house before the pandemic and because of the pandemic we weren't able to move into it until may last year it was a whole mess oh Um, really but i've gotten out here and i've gotten very obsessive about lawn maintenance which seems (laughs) so suburban and dorky and lets you know a lot about some of the midlife crisis like to turn 40 and get real into lawn maintenance like definitely some moments of midlife crisis in the past year that are exasperated by the pandemic but i'd say those are the broad strokes wow gosh well that's like a huge amount there yeah Sorry, that's I amazing. just talked for so long. Sorry no, as in like, no, 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 I'd always in like, there's so much that you've been going through. You know, it's just, it's amazing and interesting to hear that, especially because, you know, I watched Career Suicide and loved it so much. Oh, thanks. And just thought it was just such a, a moving piece of stand-up. Like, as in, it's much more than a stand-up show. It's really, you know, I feel like it's almost like I would... I don't want to say prescribe it, but as in like, I feel like it, it just really was more than that to me, you know, and I'm sure to Matt as well, because obviously we've both had our, uh, you know, mental health issues and, you know, I, I'm in therapy and stuff. And yeah, it's just, it's amazing to hear someone talking so honestly and I just loved it so much. And so it's interesting as well then to hear about stand-up, you know, and, and having that taken away, like that must have been really, really difficult to, you know, for that to just be gone for the last year. In some yeah. senses, yeah, but also it's a crazy thing. I don't know if you're familiar with how much has been going on with the, the U.S. comedy scene, but in my opinion, it's kind of reflecting a lot of American like political and cultural climate. Like, There's a mm-hmm. lot of people who keep shouting, like, the world is too PC, and like comedians going, like, the world's too PC, so we're going to say intentionally offensive yeah. stuff. But in my opinion, a lot of that's just an excuse to like say awful things, and some people are very artful about it, but the majority aren't. And then on the other side of the fence, I think there's like a whole... They used to 
could call it the alt scene of comedy, the more artsy, experimental, like indie rock analogy of comedy. And that's become very activist in a way that I think is beautiful, but has never been my, like I, I tell stories about my life and actually career suicide definitely had a, a, some points to it. So I don't know, but it's like stand up got taken away and that's very hard. I'm also able to take a step back and go, oh, this environment overall just might be very toxic right now. Yeah. It's got my gears turning about how to maybe take any sense of a fan base that I have and, and really lock into that and try to carve out my own corner of the world where I can remove myself from some of the drama. Mm. Sure. Well, you said you were thinking about changing some of, did you say, I can't remember whether you said values or like changing the way you approach comedy or something What what or standards you said, I think. What, what do you mean by that? Well, I, <laughs> I ran into a situation where I, I was, you know, everybody has an agent. It's, it's a part of the industry. I don't love it. I think it's weird. And I was with an old one. I have a special coming out in June and I self-produced it and spent a lot of money on it mm -hmm. and I couldn't get the guy to watch it. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> so I fired oh him. God. I fired him. And I picked up a new agent. And I, I really, I like them. But when I started with them, I said uh, a few things. I was like, I, I don't want shows of mine to cost more than $20. Um, mm -hmm. I want it to be very upfront and explicit if there's any like ticketing fees from these ticketing agencies. I want to be able to sign off on that first. Any shows that can be all ages, I want them to be all ages. If they have to be 18 plus, we'll do 18 plus, 21 plus should be the least favorable option. Mm -hmm. If if I go to a town and I find out that there's an art space or a DIY space as opposed to a comedy club and I and I feel like they're doing stuff that isn't run of the mill and, and is, you know, has has some culture or scene surrounding I want to support, I'm happy to make a little less money to go play places like that. And a few other things that I actually wrote out for myself and said, I want to stick to these as best as possible. Of course, with the caveat you know, which is playful, but true of also, you have to be understanding that I do have a two year old and a mortgage. So right. I'm going to do this as often as possible, but I'm not, you know, 20, <laughs> 26 with roommates anymore. Right. Um, but they're like, oh, we've got a big theater for you to play this much money. Or yeah. I mean, there's going to be certain situations where I have to compromise a little more than I want to. Mm -hmm. But also as part of that, I actually had started in the interim between my two agents. I have a friend who comes from the punk world. He's in a band I really love who I'm friends with. And mm -hmm. he kind of took his experience organizing his own tours and he books tours for other bands. And I said to him, I'd love to work together. And he, we, we, he booked me three or four shows when I didn't have an agent and there were outdoor things last year mm -hmm. and i said when i saw with the new agency i said i'd really love to keep my punk rock guy on the team and maybe we can figure it out so we're kind of in the process of figuring out what that means but i have this guy on my team who his whole world is that sort of because right i'm not saying anything revolutionary musicians have been doing this for years ian makai and fugazi and a lot of show a lot of musicians who go all ages shows ten dollar shows so i'm also keeping someone on my team very specifically to make sure that there's at least a decent percentage of my shows that prescribe to these values and that take place in venues that I kind of see the ethical merits of more than I necessarily do at a comedy club where they go, okay, the ticket's $40 and you got to buy mozzarella sticks and two watered down drinks, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, some of those are very good. I, mean, I don't want to slam it. Some of those are very good, but oftentimes I go, what is this machine that I'm kind of being a, one of the gears in? Yeah, I mean, that was one of the things where, you know, when the pandemic happened and the comedy industry shut down and a lot of people were like, well, some of this is never coming back. And part of me was like, good, good. you know, and it's a shame that some of these that people, these spaces that have been important to people and these spaces that have helped people, some people, and but I feel like have also excluded a lot of people and have been, I don't know, in some ways detrimental to the way that people perceive comedy because they see it as this one thing where you have to go to this club and you have to get this very specific type of comedy. And, and then I was like, well, maybe if there's new ways of reaching people and new spaces to go to. And because like when I 
started doing comedy, it was all DIY spaces. I've, I've never really done comedy in a club. And like, I actually started in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, and there was this punk bar that I knew, and, and I, I knew the owner, and I was like, hey, can I just do a show here on Mondays at eight because the bands don't start before 10? And he was like, yeah, sure, do whatever you want. And we got to do basically whatever we want. We got to do whatever kinds of shows we wanted to do. And it was one of the most creative experiences of my life and, and just extremely beneficial. It's the best. And, and, and I think you know then, like for someone of my background in comedy and someone my style of comedy for me to get in for me to break in the clubs I always felt like an interloper and there was also a part of me that felt like it was a real accomplishment in the sense that most alt comedians don't and there was a part of me that did have it in my head of a I've always had this philosophy that to be as good an artist as you can be and it's not true for everybody but a lot of the people I admire have this about mm -hmm. them and it's a standard set for myself is especially being in New York where there's so many shows I would use the phrase all city that's the thing that old New York graffiti artists used to say was like the actual like kingpins of these lines like were you on enough trains that your name was seen in every corner of New York City every borough all five boroughs they're gonna see your name on a train are you that prolific so to me I always looked at Mike Birbiglia and John Mulaney Aziz Ansari did this too where it's like they can play the tiniest weirdest little bar they can play the punk rock rooms they can play the tourist clubs they can go to the comedy mm -hmm. stuff they can do that all back to back to back so it meant a lot to me to get the clubs but it's kind of like the more comedy fragments and the more people are making their image and their shtick about tying into the sort of cultural extremes and cancel culture and I, I, I'm all for activism but I sometimes do think like there's 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 ways in which it's just not a thing I can do you know like there's in terms like my activism and my activist tendencies don't coexist with my comedy so it's hard for me to kind of know exactly where a style like mine lives right now because I don't have any interest in getting up on a stage and say like cancel culture's gone too far like <laughs> the last thing I want to say but there's also going to be bills where there's a lot of people getting up who come from specific backgrounds or whose acts are built to attack certain power structures and tear them down and I, I respect mm -hmm. it greatly but I don't know that I have a place on that bill I actually think that me taking up room on a bill like that might kind of be against the mission statement of that bill as a 40 year old white guy you know so it's hard for me to know exactly I definitely feel a little bit like a wandering soul the past couple of years for sure hmm. it's really interesting because yeah it doesn't I guess it, from the outside it doesn't feel like that at all because when I see your work and how loved you are I guess it is that real feeling of like the you have sort of carved out your own corner you know what I mean like is it like I, I feel like you've kind of already done that but that's just my own outside perception so obviously that's not how you feel well it's it's a good reminder of something I know every day which is that I take a deep breath and I look at what I've done and I go okay I had an HBO special my own TV show I, I published three books it's on a bunch of highly respected TV shows and bit parts and I did that all before I was 40 like I can take a deep breath and intellectually go I'm I've had a successful career. Like if I hung out up today, like I did pretty well. But yeah. I also have I also have mental problems and I also have anxieties and depression and I've been on I've been medicated for, you know, off and on for close to 20 years and I guess that's another thing I've found that the pandemic has actually helped with, which is that professional accomplishments are never going to make me feel tranquil or like I've hit some place of contentment because I don't mm -hmm. I don't know that those things are tangible in any real way. And that's why I have learned like, oh, the fact that I can work from home now and arrange my day where I can take two hours off and go take my kid to the park. Like that's yeah. much more gratifying than anything I've ever done being on TV, for example. Mm. So some of it is that, you know, and again, a very American attitude that your work defines you. And I think that that's a sucker's game that I'm sadly caught up in. Yeah. And uh, I'm always gonna feel a little bit like a wandering soul.
even though I do know. And I go on the road, I sell good tickets, I make a living, I have the beautiful anonymous, that's my main gig, it's a lovely thing, but I'll never feel, I'll never, I still have not figured out how to feel a sense of tranquility at the end of all of it, which is a bummer, yeah. which is a bummer. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I bum myself out saying that. <laughs> I was gonna say, because you, you, I've been a great admirer of your work Thanks. for many years. The, the, I think that, uh, the Chris Gethard show, which was an amazing piece of, Thank you. Of, of work and uh, an amazing community and really influential. Like I said, that, that Monday night show and, Part of the thing was like every Monday we had a different theme and we did something completely different and that was very much inspired That's by awesome. a lot of what you did. I, well, and I think you can see that. Sorry to interrupt, but I think you can yeah. see that when I speak about this sense of like having a sense of purpose that felt right and having a sense of tranquility, like oh, I'm making a thing that I'm supposed to make. It was that that show was by far the closest. I ever yeah. came to it. So that's kind of where I'm at in life in general the past three years is when you have the, you know, it was called the Chris Gethard show and it went a lot further than anybody expected it to. And I think even as it kind of sold out to cable instead of public access, we, we really tried to do it the right way more than a lot of people would have. And I'm very proud of what we did and how we did it. And now it's over. So now what? That's a, that's a, that's a thing that nobody really talks to you about when you're starting out. It's like at the, yeah. at some point you'll be frustrated, not because you can't get the things you want, but because you got them and they're mm. gone now now you're on the other <laughs> side of, of what you always wanted and unfortunately people don't retire until they're 65 and you're 38 when the show goes away so yeah. <laughs> what do you do for the next 27 years <laughs> <laughs> now that you've done the thing you feel like you were probably destined to do. Yeah, I guess that is a hard thing. I'll yeah. always find a way to complain. But yeah. uh, I, I've been I've been thinking that more and more and saying that more and more. Um, I find myself saying it on Beautiful Anonymous a lot is that I am relearning how to shrink my life. That the thing, mm. the things right in front of me, the day I have, are often very happy, but the world at large feels stressful and sad. So I have to figure out how to be like a responsible citizen who's not just sticking my head in the sand and ignoring stuff, but mm. also saying, I just have had a really lovely day that should make right. me happy so maybe i should stop reading the news and stop you know i've read enough news today i should stop worrying about what my career is going to be in a year or mistakes i made in the past and i should just remember that it's it's really fun to be doing what i'm doing right now and with a two-year-old that that is actually very easy because he's mm. hilarious yeah yeah how have you found becoming a dad how has that been it's kind of the best thing it's, i hate to be cliche but it's kind of the best thing ever mm. i just saw he just just got home. I'm watching him from the window. Aww. We had mm. we had this house we bought. The, it's it's actually an insane story. So there was a single woman who lived here and a single woman who lived behind us, and they they both both houses sold. And there was this really insane amount of bamboo in between the houses. And it turned out the woman who lived behind us used to sunbathe nude, and it infuriated the owner of our old house. So she put up <laughs> twenty foot tall bamboo as kind of a screw you. So uh -oh. <laughs> point being, we're having that torn out today. And my son just got home, and there's some big landscaping trucks in front of our house making noise and I just watched him get out of the car and just sprint towards the trucks with a grin on his face and I'm like that's that's like that's happier than anything that's happier than my anxiety like that right. happiness is happier than my anxiety is anxious and that's a good thing to realize he uh, yeah he teaches me a lot honestly yeah yeah, uh, yeah they're amazing I, my uh, my kid's six weeks old Ooh, first one yeah yeah what are you and doing so here how do you have the time to be doing this well, my wife's watching me right now. I yeah, I don't know. I quit my job Friday, so I have all the time in the world. Great, but like right now, he's just wow. uh, he's uh, he's just getting to the part where he's smiling. Uh, like, and they give you something back. Yeah, he's starting to give us something back. So it's like, okay, well, I put up with a lot of shit for the last couple of weeks, but now he's starting to smile. I'm like, okay, well, this is good. Yeah, there's more to this than just like you screaming at me and peeing on me and spitting up on me. Like you can smile once yeah. in a while now, and I feel like you're a human who's on some level recognizing. <laughs> Yeah. Joy I was like, all right, you, you bought yourself yeah. another 
another week, kid. <laughs> I I feel really um yeah excited for you, Matt. Like it's it's such a beautiful time, but at the same time, I think it, that thing of like when they start getting to the age like that, kind of like more like a two year old is it starts getting easier, like more fun. I would say I I think yeah. it's just more, and I think that's something to really keep in mind, like that it does get easier because I think in those early stages, I remember just being like, oh my god, you know, yeah, it was like yeah. boot camp. Yeah, yeah it's, it's been really stressful for a few of this. But you recently moved back to New Jersey. Was that because, you know, you wanted your kid to grow up in New Jersey or was um, it because you just kind of missed it, it was, with New York? It, it was a, a real confluence of factors. Is that the word I mean? Uh, yeah, I guess so, Is yeah. That, sometimes I say a word where I go, oh, that's smarter than my usual vocabulary. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've always been a New Jersey person. I've never felt like a true New Yorker. That showed up in all my work. Like, Matt, you know from yeah. the Gethard Show, I always was shouting to those about New Jersey. Tyra, you said you've seen career suicide like the amount of times i bring up new jersey in that like it's just yeah. always been <laughs> yeah. a piece of my gut and i always really felt like culturally the attitude of new jersey is why i've kind of been able to keep getting up and, and pursuing things in my career like you can take it on the chin get back up yeah. i didn't really understand how the new york city schools worked that felt intimidating to me i felt mm -hmm. like the city was actually getting it was wearing on me it was a little the aggression of the city was no longer charming to me it was like mm -hmm. the costs were outweighing the benefits and then on top of my affinity for it, my hope that i'd always live here uh, my son uh, just based on my age he's going to be an only child and luckily my wife's brother lives about 20 minutes from where we moved so his two cousins are kind oh. of his closest to siblings he'll have so the fact that my brother-in-law is out here with his kids allowed my wife to have a rationalization to move new to new jersey a place where many people do not ever want to live so uh, that, that was lucky but yeah it was it was kind of a combo of all of it and i think any, if anybody's followed my work on any level i think they would say like uh yeah that guy's gotta die in jersey like that would be a shame if i didn't <laughs> die in new jersey probably a knife wound oh, who knows who knows yeah Oh, uh, man, I, I remember when I was in New York because I was there for a, a couple of years and I loved it. I loved the city so much. But I remember when I first got there, I was sitting on a bench just really happy. And this woman came up to me and she was like, you're new to this place. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. And she was just like, I've been here 11 years. And if, if I've got any advice, it's get out before it sucks the life out of you. <laughs> yeah, I lived there for 16 years. And there were two incidents I can think of. One was I saw a subway masturbator at two in the afternoon. And there wow. were wow. And afternoon message. Yeah, and, and I mean like 35 people on the car who just kind of sat there and you go, this is just part of life in New York is that things like this happen sometimes. Like no one's yeah. even screaming or yelling or getting up. Like you're just like, ugh, ugh, <laughs> one of these. And then there's one time where my, my wife had our son and she went down some subway steps and I was carrying our stroller and it, was, it, it wasn't like a subway stroller. It was our big stroller. So it's heavy and it's wide. And I was about three steps from the bottom and uh, a woman started coming up the steps and I just stopped and I'm holding this heavy stroller and she's staring at me like, oh, and I finally just went, is there any way you could step down the two steps so I could get past you? And she went, come on and pushed the stroller into oh me and God. walked by. I said, I, I can't, <laughs> I can't have my son living in a city full of like people are in such a rush that they're mean and other people take their dicks out in public at two in the afternoon. Like yeah. I just can't imagine raising my son here. <laughs> Yeah. No, I think it's so good. We we moved out of London to have our kids and I was I thought I'd really miss London, but I have not looked back once. Yeah. yeah. So you're kind of on this New Jersey reclamation project where you have started New Jersey's the world, which is it, like a podcast love letter to the Garden State. Is that kind of yeah, it's, fair to say? It's 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 like a podcast love letter to the state, very fair to say. And then we also have a Patreon where there's like six other podcasts yeah. that are just <laughs> aiming to just be like as rich as 
celebration of a place as you could possibly do. That's great. And you were saying, so this kind of came up because you kind of wanted to work with people who are old friends that you kind of have a deeper connection to than, than just kind of the regular people in the comedy community or just kind of other comedians. Or yeah. Are they comedians? I, no. I was listening to Wotown and I was like, I don't know these guys. Should I know these guys? No, they're just dudes I grew up with in West Orange. Like neither one of them is a comedian. Like the, the one guy, Nick, is like an actual union card carrying construction worker who, who like helps oh. build bridges and airports and stuff. Like the other thing too, if you know people from New Jersey, I think that I think a lot of people from Jersey would say it's very true that I've been around a, a lot of, of very funny comedians and very well-known comedians, especially coming up at the UCB in the era I did, just the amount of talent that passed through there. But I yeah. still think if you said to me, who are the funniest people you've ever met? A lot of it is the people I grew up with. And if anybody mm -hmm. came and sat around in, in my backyard when we all got together and cooked burgers and hung out, you'd sit here and go, oh my God, these people's stories are, are amazing. So kind of wanted to right. show that off too you know yeah that's oh. awesome i love that that's great and i think that's the beautiful thing is like when you can connect with people who are able to to make you laugh and make jokes and stuff who aren't you know they're not out there trying to make a career out of it it's just who they are and i think that's really beautiful yeah, yeah. me too i feel lucky to know these guys and it's also we grew up in the 80s and 90s when things were lawless and there were all these rumors like all the craziness like kids pictures kidnapped kids on milk cartons and all these rumors that <laughs> satanic cults would kidnap people and we were yeah. still being like completely convinced that the Russians might drop a bomb on our heads. Like I, I was told growing up in North Jersey in my town, we were told a teacher once told me, I think I was in third grade. He said, you know, if they drop a nuclear bomb on New York City, we're some of the ones who are really out of luck because a lot of people closer to the city will die instantly. But we'll most likely just be covered head to toe in third degree burns. Like that was we were told that in third <laughs> oh, grade. So it was just like an era of time where you look back and it was like satanic panic and the last throws of like. <laughs> Like, the communists are all going to get us and you're going to get kidnapped and like and just like we just grew up in an insane way so it's nice to kind of rationalize it and the stories seem i think kind of insane to people who are of subsequent generations yeah yeah wow so that's yeah. your kind of main so you've got that and beautiful anonymous obviously beautiful anonymous has been like a life-changing thing i sometimes feel bad because i don't rant about it because it's i've been doing it for five years and it's just such a lovely locked in thing but it is it has been a life-changing thing for me and and has such a fan base of genuine kind people who are also like quietly very passionate about it and supportive of me personally and it just has provided me such a, a safety net as an artist to like have some breathing room to go out and try to do things that I want to do and the New Jersey is the world one is the thing that currently is me being like all right let's see if I can cook something up with this so I talk about that more but Beautiful Anonymous is like an absolute life-changing pleasure yeah it, yeah, it is and, and for people who don't know maybe never listened it's it's a fascinating podcast where you some, somebody calls in. Wait, can you explain? You, you explain it to your podcast. Yeah, it's basically I, I put a phone number on the internet. Like I tweet it out when the line is live and then people call and I talk to one of them for an hour. And the only rules are that they never tell me their name. And that gives them a lot of feelings that they can kind of open up and say some risky stuff. And then I'm not allowed to hang up. They can hang up before an hour. I can't hang up until it hits the hour, which are very loose parameters. But it's actually led to like, it's funny to me because a lot of people tell me like, oh, it's such an innovative show. And I sit there, I go, well, it's just a phone call. In a conversation but i think just some very loose parameters that tell the person like hey you're not gonna get in trouble if you say too much it's anonymous mm -hmm. and i'm going to listen i'm not gonna bail on you like i'm here for the long haul and you no one will ever know who you are that it's actually led to some conversations that have been like some of them very funny but but more often than not stuff that's kind of like cultural examination and and, and oftentimes quite dark it's very cool it's very cool have the you ever felt like hanging up before the hour um yeah I can't lie. 
<laughs> there's been a couple there's been a couple some of the conversations have been like extraordinarily hard to hear on just a human emotional level and uh-huh. those ones i just sit there and go man i'm like i effectively am the platform for this but what scares me is like the, the part that's really really difficult mentally is when we've recorded a call and we haven't released it yet and it's like i know when we release it the world will have it but right now i'm the only one who's heard this that can weigh on me that's not oh. necessarily stuff i want to hang up on but i know it's gonna be hard and then if i'm being honest there's been a couple where i can just feel that maybe a lot of times i'll drop the ball and and miss something or a person just winds up not having as much to say as they thought and it's maybe like a little bit slow and we're you know we'll get in half we'll get in like 35 minutes and my producer will type to me like this one's slow can we pick up the pace and i'll go i'm trying and i can't figure it out and that's on me and i'm going probably not going to use this one and i'm going to be sitting here for another 25 minutes out of respect and but that's like i said it's not it's not really the caller's fault it, it, I, I, it's my job to find something there and right. yeah and there was actually one that made me laugh so hard we actually did a live show once and got a call from a couple and it was not a good live show <laughs> and then the couple i later met them in person when i was on the road and they came up to me and they said we were the ones who called you at that festival and i said oh hi and i thought they were going to say why has our call never come out and they said we are so happy that you didn't put that call out because we hung up and turned to each other and said that was boring to the point of being humiliating and i said well i wasn't gonna say it i wasn't gonna say it but yeah but yes it was i was i was, I was curious about the show like what percentage of calls don't make it through the film like how many very re- few really yeah i mean we've been doing the show for five years now and putting it out every week and with like mm. some bonus episodes along the way and i don't think there's more than 20 calls that haven't been put out and i, I actually would be surprised if it's if it's even at a dozen or so you know like i i don't really yeah I, most of them we just go cool we got it but as far as ones where we walk away and go yeah we're not using that maybe 10 in five years 12 in five years and some of them because they're boring some of them because i screw something up as the host and create a bad vibe and then uh-huh. one that was actually so disturbing uh, well no there's two there was there was one that was very disturbing and we hung up and said we cannot in good conscience release that anybody who's heard the show is going well the things you have released what could qualify as that <laughs> and then a, another where i actually sadly had to stop the call halfway through i made a judgment call and said you know you're really struggling right now and i think you need help and you've made it clear that you're not getting that help and and i just can't i need to tell you i can't put this out and i need to stop and just talk to you and uh yeah. And just let you know that I don't I don't think that airing this out to the you know pretty sizable fan base of this I think it's going to hurt more than it's going to help I'm not going to do it and I want you to go get help and, and call back sometime once that's happened and she mm-hmm. I think that got through to her so really yeah. only two that were kind of content related mm. yeah not many do you mind in, indulging me in this this you know the sort of infamous trash uh, episode of your oh show. yes the dumpster episode yeah yes um, that is can I say is I think maybe the finest hour of television ever committed to video. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank Matt you. loves that. it so much. I watch it. I every time I try to explain who you are, I'll just send people a link to that it video. It's I yeah. I think it's I think it's amazing. Thanks. It's piece. kind of the legacy of the whole Gethard show. Is that episode? Is it? Well, it's the one that has by far spread the most, and it's wild. Like you're not the first person to say it's the finest hour of television they've seen, and some of these are like like television reviewers. Like yeah. And I sit here and go, wow, we really nailed that one. I mean, we made all told the whole run of the show we made over 200 episodes between public access and cable tv and i go wow well a lot of them were a lot of them were dreck that was the experimental nature of it but that one was definitely the episode where you look at it and you go man if 
if we had gotten the cable and finally had a budget and actually gotten to, there was potential that all the episodes could have been that good. Let me say that. And okay. there's a lot that I'm very proud of and a lot that I, I will stand by and say are very good. But that is the one that most, it, it, the, the backstory actually, and we've talked about this, is that the network we were on at the time would just give us these notes. We would pitch the craziest ideas and they'd give us such notes and we were butting heads and everybody felt bad about it. We were annoyed. Yeah. They were annoyed. We'd be able to have these human <laughs> conversations where I'd say, I know that I'm digging in my heels and stuff and annoying you. And they'd go, and we know we're giving you like corporate mandate stuff that's very annoying to you and pushing and pulling. And I'm not lying when I say in, I think that was in the second season of the show and we'd spent so much time fighting with each other. And I said, I feel like we've been conceding so much to you guys and kind of bending over backwards to accommodate you. It is what it is. Can we have one that we do our way? Like, can we just have one where you bite your tongue on the notes? And it was the dumpster episode. (laughs) See, See, you sons of bitches. And just yesterday, there's a reviewer, there's a TV reviewer named Alan Sepinwall, who's really highly regarded. And just yesterday, he goes, he puts a tweet up that says, uh, I finally had a chance to watch the infamous dumpster episode of the Chris Gethard show. Oh my goodness, what a delight. And then all these other reviewers who follow him are going, yeah, it's one of the best hours of TV I've ever seen. Like one of the pinnacles of live television. I'm going, well, it's nice for me to get all these reviewers I respect in my corner three years after the show (laughs) was canceled. That's very on brand for me. Very on Uh, brand for me. The whole show, the whole run of the show, I felt was amazing. And I I love that some of the shows did kind of fail. And I loved that. And that was like a thing that I brought to my own like weekly show. I was like, if we do, if we have a bad show and we had some really bad concepts. Who cares? We had one where like, that's fun. Yeah, we're like, we write a, we were going to write a book on stage. Turns out it's really hard to write a book. Yeah. 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 It turns out I'm a very bad typist. Not the, and not the most (laughs) thrilling process for an audience to watch. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I was like, I will have the page projected on a screen so people can see me typing. Uh (laughs) Didn't work. Yeah. When it was not working, I kind of turned against my collaborators (laughs) and Uh I was like a real asshole about it. So it just made it even worse. Been there. (laughs) But yeah, but like there were, there are episodes that are are sublime. The the hero's journey episode is great. The villain's journey episode. Thank you. That, that was one that got, that was one of the ones that got Pete, that got in a review in the AV club, which was, which was pretty influential as far as like cultural Mm -hmm. commentary. And they, they gave that an A, they gave the show an A and cited the villain's journey. So that was one of the things that got us some, we actually always survived because we had very good critical praise and we were Mm -hmm. able to book great guests and that helped us survive despite pitiful ratings. But yeah, in terms of failing, like I really feel like one of the things about the show that I look back on, because, you know, I started the show as a stage show in 2009, like this, this was a long time ago. I feel like a completely different human being now, but I do look back and I go, I think one of the things that has made people really sort of look at it and go, I think the people who lock in with it, there's some people who still obsess over it. And and I think one of the basic premises is you do not see people fail on television. That doesn't happen. (laughs) You're not allowed to fail. You're not allowed to do something that doesn't work on TV. It's like a, it's, it's like a stain on your production. And all we did was fail. And kind of the overarching theme of the show was like, hey, we're never going to get this right. We don't have the financial bandwidth. We don't have the emotional capability. We don't have the experience. We're never going to make a good TV show. But we right. got this. We ra- we'll make we can- we'll make what we make. And then there were a yeah. lot of people who went, oh, this kind of lives outside of the, the matrix in a way. <laughs> and I, speaks to me. Yeah, I think just the emotional honesty of the show, I think, worked so hard. What, it felt so raw, both in terms of like talent and like experience and 
and also like emotional. Thanks. Yeah. You know, I think if you let people see the scene sometime and your own humanity, I feel like it helps you connect with the audience. I think so. I just love that so much. I love yeah. your the the willingness to fail. Like I think that's one of the biggest things in life if you can just be willing to fail. Because I think I've I, it's literally taken me till now, you know, to start being. Because I think I've been I've had so much shame about failure. Like so much. Like I would rather just not do anything. I'd just rather disappear than be seen to be doing like just to do something badly. And I think it's probably because I had a very well an extremely religious upbringing, which you probably can relate to as oh. well. Obviously, <laughs> I was trained to be self-hating as an Irish Catholic. Yeah, yeah. and I think uh, there's such a deep part of me that is. It's like I feel almost constantly like I'm going to be found out that I'm a, somehow a bad person uh, and that I should already be ashamed of that. You know, so it's like this thing of almost just not wanting to be seen. You know, and I think therapy has really helped me to just be like, fuck it. Like I've just just give it a go. You know, like just see how it goes. And that is um yeah. I, so I love that that idea of of failing and just not caring, like just keeping on doing it, you know, finding the fun. Yeah, and I, I was lucky that I managed to make it an asset of like, hey, I strike out all the time. You've seen me strike out. Now I'm here on public access television, which is regarded as largely a joke in America. Right. I don't care. <laughs> I'm gonna go for it. And I think that that went a long way with people. I think I think in its time it actually felt like a pretty progressive step to uh have a show that's like, Yeah, we screw up all the time and I'm woefully depressed and <laughs> if you wanna call in and tell yeah. me messed up stuff, I'm happy go for it. I'll just stop the show, give you six minutes of airtime. I mean like we once had a guy call up I hate to laugh, but like have a guy call up and talk about how like like literally had a call once where a guy was like ah, I'm, I'm kind of bummed out today i'm like why he's like oh they found my brother's body in the woods i'm like what? oh my god oh, okay. <laughs> i guess we're gonna stop doing whoa. the comedy show and talk about this now and people would watch it and go like whoa this <laughs> this is not they're, they're legit this yeah. is not planned you know yeah this is legit. Yeah. okay all right yeah. it's not they're not no one is vetting these calls clearly <laughs> Clearly. Yeah. Oh my god. I just wanted to check one thing before, like, because I know we should really let you go, but we and we have to just finish this up. But I wanted to ask you: Was there anything with that very famous dumpster one uh, that you were disappointed about? Like, were you disappointed that? We, we shouldn't say. Oh, let's bleep his name. Let's, have to, let's, I'll have to bleep, let's bleep it now because I don't want people who haven't seen it. Yeah, okay, gotta, sorry. <laughs> if that's the question, I got to tell you, you can ask me about almost any other episode from our cable run and I will be able to point to something where I go, I regret this, I regret that. We were forced into doing that. I overthought this, blah, blah, blah. But I can say with confidence that the dumpster episode is the one where I go, no, that's, that's what I was hoping the show would be the whole time. We have like mm -hmm. enough clout to get a person like that involved and we have a budget big enough to you know do it on this scale afford a dumpster yeah i mean <laughs> we actually built we, that dumpster like here, here's behind the scenes we actually built a fake dumpster with like a ventilation system in it um oh. so you didn't die in there <laughs> but then like boy that would have been a reveal yeah. <laughs> oh um okay see that is a question i had because it looks like a used dumpster yeah our arts department did great on that yeah i was like oh did they like clean out a used dumpster because i feel like the smells never coming out of a dumpster <laughs> yeah it's uh and i was like they put that guy in a dumpster and in a smelly old dumpster. I don't yeah, know. It was, so it's uh, a fake dumpster that, that actually it's like. It's the one thing that's faked in that episode. But yeah, I do look at that one and I go, that, you know, you get on cable and it means you can get someone that big to help you out and you have a budget to make it look good. And then I'm also given the breathing room to like, sometimes I feel like I see some stuff on the internet and it makes me laugh. I'm not, I'm secure enough to handle it before they go, oh, you know, this, this is 
really because Paul Shear and Jason Manzukis were so funny. And I go, yeah, absolutely. That's why this episode is so chaotic and off the rails. But I'm the one who built the infrastructure and the one who invited them because I knew that. Like, yeah. I knew this idea was good for them and I know who they are and what they would do and how we interact with each other. So yeah, I was able to book guests I like. I was able to do it the way I want it. And I think it will stand the test of time, whereas most of them will blow away like uh, dead leaves in the wind. <laughs> <laughs> it was really an incredible... I mean, I just can't believe that guess and everything. Thank but you. we won't say um, any more, obviously, to wreck it for people. I, I want to ask you two things quick before we let you go. You're, you said you're obsessed with yard work these days. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I was fertilizing my lawn earlier today. Today's the first day they recommend fertilizing. Really? Yeah, I put down Magical and Green Up fertilizers <laughs> earlier today. All right, all right. So you got the classic grass lawn. Yeah. Are you getting into gardening? Are you getting into flowers? Are you getting into vegetables? I want to know all about this. My wife's mother is a fantastic gardener, so my wife always grew up with like a knowledge of plants. She she really likes the gardening. I ruined my lawn last year is what happened. <laughs> I cut it too uh-huh. short and it was overrun with a weed called crabgrass. And I became okay. so mad at myself that I, I consumed every bit of information I could find on how to fix it. And <laughs> that actually led me to getting like very OCD and feeling like, oh, there's all these different strategies. But at the end of the day, it's just kind of like science and nature. You get uh-huh. to be a part of it. Starting this year, I'm starting to figure out like my new project is in certain sections of the lawn. I put down a bunch, a lot of clover seed because it's coming back into fashion to have clover in your lawn. And a big part is because it absorbs nitrogen so you don't have to use as many chemical fertilizers. Like oh, I sit nice. and research this stuff all the time. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's amazing. Well, that's awesome. I'm, I'm glad you're you're loving your oh, yeah. your new lawn. Oh yeah, it's the best. Yeah. I'm going to get out there after these landscapers go and I'm going to finish, I'm going to finish up the fertilizing. That sounds yeah. fantastic. Um, <laughs> I'm looking forward to hopefully uh, the next special being all about lawn. Yeah, lawn work. Okay. And then, so six, we're going to talk to you again in six months. Do you have any big predictions uh, for yourself or for the world in six months? Let's see. Well, six months from now is September, right? Yeah. Personally, I have a new stand-up special coming out in June. It's like a half, half of it is stand-up material and half of it's like a documentary about kind of driving from venue to venue and showing off what the actual experience of a 10-city tour is like. So that's coming out in June. I'm very interested to see if that makes any waves and it would be really nice if it did. And then I think my first shows back are in September or October that are on the books. That's when everybody's starting to book things. So I would love it if I had like some momentum off of that stand-up leading into my gigs of that special, kind of letting me go at it from a some firm footing like I would just love so much if the New Jersey is the world project got off the ground enough that it was self-sustaining and really the only thing it needs to get if it could generate enough money that I could pay the producer enough because he's producing five to six podcasts a month for it an old friend of mine who worked he's trained as an audio engineer he mostly did like venue sound so he's completely I mean you can imagine like anyone who worked in a venue in any capacity got told overnight you're the first one out like no job so if if Mm -hmm. this could become something that makes enough that he could he could be like making enough of his income to make it worth his while then we can keep it going so i would love if it blew up and became a part of my income but more realistically i hope it keeps building momentum so he can get taken care of and keep doing this thing because it's been so full of joy those are the oh, goals. that's beautiful oh, that's great any big swing predictions any crazy predictions for the world i don't know if this will be six months but i do genuinely think i mean this is going to sound very out of character coming from me but i do think mm-hmm. that when we are allowed to party again i think that's going to be such a treasured thing that i think there's going to be like outright hedonism in a way that I haven't seen in my lifetime. <laughs> I think there's going to be a lot more people who are like, screw it. I'm a kinkster and I'm into group sex. Let's go have orgies and not apologize. I think there's going to be a lot of people who's like sexual peccadillos that keep behind closed doors. They're just like, nope, I'm going for it. I think there's going to be a lot of that. I think there's going to be parties in the streets. I think there's going to be like art happening on street corners that, that gather large crowds. Like, I think there's going to be a, a celebration of like 
group activity and humanity and physicality that we are mm-hmm. probably going to take probably too far <laughs> and then things will swing back towards the middle. But that would be my guess, especially like in the States. Like I know it's a very moderate version of the Democratic Party, but like the conservatives aren't at the top of the food chain anymore. Mm-hmm. It seems like there's been a pushback where liberalism is pushing back. So maybe that'll also show up culturally. Like there's not like a puritanical group in charge right now who will snuff out the fun. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully we have a lot of fucking fun and there's just orgies in the streets. That's what I think. Mean. So just outright bacchanal. I think so. Uh, I think we've earned it, right? <laughs> I think we've earned it. Kind of last days of Rome stuff. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. What a prediction. That's a great prediction. That's a very, that is a very hopeful prediction, I think. Yeah. That's nice. We'll see. Most of our hopeful predictions in previous episodes have not really come true, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully this one. <laughs> so Chris, uh, we're not going to say goodbye to you because through the miracle of editing, we're going to pick up this conversation seamlessly in six months Sounds time. Sounds good to me. But one thing we do ask our, our guests to do to kind of bridge the two episodes is we ask them to set up a joke uh, that they do not know how it is going to end so we'll get your setup now uh-huh. and then you have six months to think of the perfect oh so i'm on. inventing this off the top of my head this is not a pre-established yeah. joke okay let's see <laughs> sorry at the, oh. at the risk of alienating and annoying every guest we have we've decided to do this well no let's i think i found a good cheat on how to do this that will be a, a writing exercise for myself so my son currently is 21 months old mm-hmm. so what i'll say is you know there's a lot of things about raising a kid that kick into gear specifically when he is 24 months old and now i'm going to tell you about <laughs> some of the most hilarious things that happen specifically with a 24 month old son the funniest thing that the boy has said to me in 29 months was you know every once in a while it will wind up where we bathe together he's still young enough that i don't think that's creepy and there was one day where he pointed at my penis and said the word vajipa and started cackling (laughs) and that's his mispronunciation not mine vajipa he just pointed right at it and went daddy's vajipa ha 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 and that was that was yeah that's a hard one to know how to react to at all let alone in 2021 let alone right you, know, you don't want to you don't want to have knee-jerk reactions about about uh gender related things because at the end of the day who cares but it is you're sort of trained to have those knee-jerk reactions so i just right. took a quiet breath and tried to explain to him that i in fact have i don't have a vagina yeah i mean it's not a there's no judgment there it's just you're correcting him on a very technical issue of yeah yeah you know, very like the medical term for a physical thing Yes. Like there's no. <laughs> yeah. And then right after that, you were like, and actually, it's a vagina. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're not e- so you like whatever you're going for here. You don't even have the word right. So jokes <laughs> so on you. You look dude. real stupid. Yeah. Yeah. You're just making a fool of yourself here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to be fair, also of me. Yeah. Also me. debate debating a two year old about what's a penis and what's a vagina. Yeah. It's not the best use that's of my time. Actually, a great yeah. word. I really love the word vagina. Maybe that's what I'll start mm-hmm. calling. And, and and you were like, actually, the visible part is called the ladia okay i i think <laughs> if i remember right from health class but i was never totally sure because i was an ignorant guy who grew up in a school system with bad sex ed but yeah i think so <laughs> i mean no one no one really yeah, knows a, what it's I a mystery at all uh, it is mystery. chris how have <laughs> chris how have the last six months been treating you okay 
ups and downs. I'm, I was bummed when I listened back to realize that we haven't hit the point of hedonistic parties in the streets yet. Sorry. And I know you've been doing to your best to get those started. I know. You're I just keep running around arrested. naked. You keep seeing <laughs> in the headlines. I keep getting arrested trying to start these street orgies that I predict, predicted, but I guess the world's just not ready yet. So, so your attempts to start street orgies have not worked out well. No, no. But what has been going on? <laughs> so there's a few things that come to mind. Listening back, it was there was stretches where I was like, oh, life's exactly the same. There were stretches where I listened and there's a, well, there's a couple things. There's like one logistical thing that's worth updating and a second thing that I listened to and it kind of made me sad. Oh, okay. The first is that, you know, one thing I had talked about was how like the lack of live shows was driving me nuts and I've been back. I, I just, just this weekend performed in Minneapolis. I think it was my sixth or seventh city since we last spoke. Uh-huh. And my prediction that that would do a lot of good for me proved true, both in like getting out there and removing some financial stress and, and you know, which I actually didn't talk as much about. We talked more philosophically, but there's also that side of it. So, yeah. and then like getting creative again and being in front of live crowds again, that, that, that proved very true. My instinct of like, oh, that is a muscle that's kind of necessary for me to feel fully together was on target. And nice. the tickets, ticket sales are not like, they're not like selling out. And I'm not, I'm trying not to stress, but then I get to the venues and day of people are buying tickets and you could tell people are having some honest conversations. How am I feeling? Where are the numbers at? Okay. I will buy a ticket. And it's been really nice. Overall, that, that has been great and proven very fruitful and true. That part. Oh, that's, that's, great. that's great. Yeah. And then there was a stretch I listened to where I listened to it and I went, man, I sound so rational, but then I heard your reactions to it. And I think about the, well, no. And then I think about the last six months and how it kind of rolled out of control and it was kind of shocking. It kind of bummed me out to hear. What was that? Oh my God. No, I feel like you did something horribly wrong. (laughs) No, you didn't do anything wrong. So, so basically there, there was a stretch of our last conversation where I, I, I was talking a lot about, you know, there's a lot of comedians that are maybe harder edged and the, cancel culture and then I got into this rant where I was talking about how some of those people don't like me and I feel like I need to carve out my own space and try to survive and this and that and you both expressed versions of like oh well from the outside perspective that's kind of what it looks like you've done and I sort of said well yeah but blah 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 and brushed it off and the truth of the matter is it was like a very mini version of some issues I was having and I actually I don't think I, I was listening through and I don't think I had mentioned this yet and I don't think it had happened yet and if it did I downplayed it or didn't mention it but I actually switched medications I think shortly I think not shortly after we spoke because I was having some some pretty big issues and that chunk of conversation actually really had become this kind of obsessive thing this like sort of obsessive thought of like like how like like there 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 has been some negativity towards me but it's been from maybe three or four people Mm -hmm. and I was really dwelling on it and letting it take on sort of of really big importance in my mind and I even we said some stuff along the way with you guys about you know there's some friendships and if you're not working with people apparently you're not friends anymore and that was another mm-hmm. sort of like the way I phrased it I think was pretty on target but it was another thing that when I heard it come up I'm like oh my god that was just these thoughts of like comedy has no place for any me anymore a lot of my old friends have abandoned me those were becoming very very obsessive thoughts actually so oh. in expressing those and hearing myself express those two I go oh I, I, I sound so rational saying it there and then I hear you guys react and go kind of look looks like you have carved out your space like and I'm listening going yeah I had and I I really wasn't totally in touch with that and that kind of grew out of control to the point where negatively impacting my life and I switched medications so listening back to it I was like yeah I don't sound unhealthy I don't sound out of control but those were thoughts that were really on my mind all the time that I could not let go of Uh you know it was a really tough stretch nobody switches medications because things are going great Mm -hmm. there was some there's some tough stretches in there but I finally said to my doctor I said and these thoughts are getting kind of obsessive 
if I got to shake them and we tried a new medication and, and they're much more, I have, I have like much more realistic versions of the same thoughts now, but hearing myself talk about, oh, a lot of my friends who I'm not friends with anymore. I guess if you're not working together, you're not friends and like, oh, and there's some comedians out there and it's making me feel kind of like I need to just abandon this comedy and carve out my own space because it's not a healthy scene and I don't know that I'm welcome there. Those were, those, that was not the first time I had said that by a long shot. And it was really kind of an obsessive couple things in my life. So that was, that was tough to hear, but I'm glad that, I'm glad that I could hear them now and go, oh, weird. Those are like some red flags for things that would kind of mount and build and need some really active course correction since we spoke. And Mm. it was kind of a, I don't want to say crisis, but closer to it than I would have liked. Oh, okay. Wow. Gosh, I'm so sorry to hear that. I had, I really didn't realize that, yeah, that that's how you were feeling. Would you, how's the change in medication gone? Uh, Really, really well. Really, really well. I had been on the same medications for like 13 years and I think probably they had maybe hit a point of being like a placebo thing Hmm. and a few years ago my doctor had talked to me about switching medications because she's just become firmly more of the belief that I have a lot of like ADD and ADHD things going on Mm -hmm. that go hand in hand with the depression but we'd been kind of medicating with depression drugs and she had tried pushed it we had had tried it at one point and she had put me on Adderall and I wound up abusing it so that made it null and void it's like well there's not going to be any positive side effects if I'm just eating it like jelly beans and I said you know I think it's clear I need to change so she put me back on that and I of course swore up and down I will not I will not mess around or play that game anymore and I did not and it's uh it was really a lifesaver when in a stretch where things were getting really bad oh oh well that's good yeah, to yeah. that's such a relief and who knows hopefully that continues so your your album came out your new album and your new special came out in mm-hmm. June how was that it was good I had I, I chuckled as I listened to it and said maybe that'll blow up and it'll catch momentum <laughs> that'll help my ticket sales it did not it did uh, fine the people who like all of my projects the people who found it seemed to really value it and think it was funny and had some heart to it but it didn't set the world on fire that's okay Mm -hmm. i was pleased with it and i I also realized too the process of releasing it was also a big part of kind of realizing some of the stuff i was talking about before really kind of like i don't love watching myself or listening to myself on things but because of Mm -hmm. that being self-produced i had to kind of watch every edit and i was going oh there's like there's some footage in here where i'm definitely like not i wouldn't say crazy but it's a very skewed vision of what's going on and kind of really helped me uh help me see that stuff so on a personal level the special was hugely impactful professional level put it out proud of it it didn't run to the top of the charts and and change everything like i was hoping but i felt good about it felt good about it that's good i mean if you're proud yeah. of it that's i mean what else yeah do you really ask? yeah i think it's good i i think it's legit good i like it yeah i really enjoyed it i, I was listening to it uh, earlier today and uh it's it's great i think it's really great. it's really fun i laughed really hard i'm well, definitely gonna have to check out gatorland my parents live in that part of florida now oh mine so, too yeah but yeah next time i'm in orlando i'll have to like check out gatorland well um, worth it it's real yeah. <laughs> great it's real cracked out in the best ways yeah yeah chris matt sent me your essay on lawn and i really oh, yeah. loved it like it, oh yeah it, I thanks found it quite, yeah lawn care remains a passion quite, yeah um, yeah <laughs> quite moving it was nice reading it as well obviously after listening to your first half and like obviously you were talking about your lawn passion then and then i don't know there's a lot there was a lot in that essay like it was pretty deep you know pretty it really impacted me thank you i'm glad to hear that 
and I'll tell you, I'm so happy you brought this up, Tara, because huge development in the past six months is I've, I have completely shifted my lawn care priorities. Whoa, whoa. I was not yeah. expecting this level of revelation yeah. here. Let's, <laughs> let's stop rambling about needing to switch medications Guys. because of a mental health crisis and a, re- a life record. Let me um, see if I can find like there's a soundboard in this. If they can be like. <laughs> yeah, it's time for it. I've been talking about my lawn so much and pushing, you know, putting out the essays and talking about it in my comedy. And a guy reached out to me and he has a, a lawn maintenance company. And, and he does work in my area and he focuses purely on get this organic lawn care right. so nice. he aims to be chemical free with the with the products that are used and the techniques and a lot of it is about like bioregenerative farming and a lot of these sort of like old school techniques that people are trying to bring, bring back like you know people mm-hmm. were culti- cultivating crops and vegetables and lawns before we had all modern technology and chemicals let's get back to how they used to do it so we're talking about biochar <laughs> compost tea Whoa. fertilizers yeah. made largely out of eggshells like th- things mm-hmm. that are mm-hmm. uh, really chemical free and it's a big risk and I'm nervous to take it because I put in a lot of work on this lawn, but I'm really happy. And if it goes well, I feel like it it could be huge. It could just be huge for my lawn and my mood and my sense of self-worth. Right. So, I mean, yeah. I feel like this is a natural progression for you because before you were talking about like you got the clover, which is like a nitrogen fixing thing. Yeah. So it's this yeah. these plants yes. that I forget what the term is, but they like work. They complement each other. They work in tandem, mm-hmm. you know, and they help each other grow and things like that. So, I mean, that feels like the normal like the kind of the way you want to go. It that. was really interesting, you know, because we live not too far from a body of water. So we do have to be careful about chemicals because they run off. And my wife is mm-hmm. so such like a commendably so like really cares about the environment. And she was the one that was like, just look into what you can do. And the clover was the first thing I realized. And that that was the door opening. You know, that that was the rabbit hole of, OK, mix clover with your lawn intentionally for these reasons. And that's when you start to get into some of these sort of like hippie ish, you know, hippie ish lawn people who say you can have a lawn and do it responsibly. <laughs> right. a lot. The compost tea, I may start brewing my own tea, my own compost tea, uh-huh. which sounds like an absolutely disgusting process, but uh, pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. I did recently find out, I got some very distressing news last weekend, which was that this guy who I'm working with, it's like, he's basically like, you know, there's certain things that as a landscaper, like you need to be licensed to get certain products or certain equipment to apply products. And he's like, there's certain stuff you just can't do. So what if we come up with a system where like hire me to do the stuff you legally can't do? and then I'll build a whole calendar on how you can do the rest. I was like, this is exactly what I need. This is perfect. Mm -hmm. He's like your life coach now. (laughs) Yeah, in many ways, lawn coach, life coach, they're kind of synonymous when it comes to to me. So yeah, he's he's really going to help me through all this stuff. But he did discover that sections of my lawn had grubs and that was very distressing. Very distressing. (laughs) It was not good. Not good. Yeah, Yeah, because they'll eat the root system out from under the grass, you know? Everybody knows that. I definitely felt like I was getting anxious (laughs) while reading the essay, just with all the stuff that was... it, it felt like there it was <laughs> so much going on underneath, both obviously internally for you, but also for the soil itself. Like as in, there was like so much going on under the lawn, you know, with the like the bamboo shoots that kept. And I, I don't know. I felt like mm-hmm. that's that's. But yeah, it felt it, it, it felt. I'm, I'm assuming obviously very much intentionally, but as if like as if you were trying to like somehow fix. Obviously, like I'm assuming it was intentional, but like fixing the lawn is somehow like fixing yourself. Was this some kind of like i mean i i feel yeah. 
And then obviously from what I've learned from therapy is there is like, because I always was obsessed with trying to fix, like, I just want to be fixed. I just want to be fine. My therapist would always be like, you can't fix yourself. You are, you know, you're not going to be able to fix yourself. It's kind of almost more like acceptance, like accepting yourself. And I guess that just left me with that thought, that, that essay. Well, that's one of the things I will say in a very simple way that I came to love about my lawn. And it shows up in the essay, and I'm, I'm glad you saw it all there, but even in the most basic way, I realized, like, I would mow my lawn. And even just doing that, like, not something that involved, like, needing to be, like, Googling, like, soil zone temperatures and what works in the northeast of the United States and blah, blah, blah. What's a good grass seed mix for shady areas? Like, that stuff's all very nerdy. But on a basic level, I'd mow my lawn after we moved in last year, and I'd get halfway across, and I'd stop and look, and I'd go, oh, look at the half that I haven't done yet. It's still all overgrown and looks all bad mm -hmm. and I can turn around and look at the other half of the lawn that I push this thing over looks clean looks how I want it to be and I realized that it was I mean a very cliche sort of like suburban midlife crisis <laughs> white guy stuff but I was like here I am raising a toddler. That's scary. We're in the middle of a pandemic. That's terrifying. A career as an artist, which is, I'm very blessed to have and very lucky, but it always feels uncertain. And the pandemic made that feel less certain than it ever has in my whole life. And then I can turn around and go, this is sort of the one thing that I have mm. going right now where I do it and I see the actual demonstrable effect mm. I have had. It's like that half of the lawn looks good because I worked on it and if I keep working on the rest of it the rest of it will look good and this is all pretty basic and that is kind of I think there is some mechanism of control and it's like one of the main things I kept pointing out in the essay is like for an artist who's always had kind of like a creative brain and mm -hmm. also a little bit on a personal level an out of control brain it's like the first time in my life that I've really seen the value of science where I just go if factors x and y happen it leads mm -hmm. to z and you can help control that and you can help guide that and dictate that. Just having any sense of control over anything this past year felt really necessary. And for me, for some reason, that became lawns. Hmm. I don't quite know why, but it just feels really good to have something where I go, it's not really open-ended. It's just the more work I put into it, the better it looks. And if the weeds keep showing up, who really cares? It's not the end of the world. Like with my son, I can try to do stuff and teach him and be good. But like, if you screw up, that could be really bad. You know, like that's true for every. <laughs> that's true for professional life stuff, for marriage stuff. There's so many ways to screw it up. There's only so many ways to screw up a lawn. <laughs> and even when you do, it, you get another chance next year. And if you yeah. have a- Yeah, you run the mower over that. You get a clean and it slate. Looks, and it looks fine. It, you yeah. mow it short enough, it all looks fine. And you know it's there and nobody really cares. Yeah. It proved really valuable to have. I, I understand that. But for me, like um, like the lawn, I am, I'm just like embracing chaos <laughs> with the lawn. And I just want it all to like, I want to see if I let it go, like where it goes. I just want to see what happens. Yeah. And so I've done, I've taken the completely opposite dance with my lawn where like this weekend, I actually tore up the whole front lawn and planted wildflowers with the intention of creating like a wildflower meadow in the front lawn. Yeah. Is, it for, is it for bees and, and butterflies and other pollinators? Oh, 100%. Like yeah, I'm only that. like, it's all, or it's all native wildflowers. It's all just like, so it's going to be good for the bees and the birds and things like that. And that's all I want. And I just want the whole front lawn to be just wildflower meadow. And I just don't want it to kind of like, as it is a low maintenance thing, but then also like to see what emerges from the ground. Cause like there are flowers that the previous owner had planted that just kind of randomly emerge sometimes mm -hmm. in the front lawn, like bulbs of tulips and grape hyacinths and things like that. 
and I find that great. And I think find that better than I don't know. So yeah, I just I thought it was reading your essay. I thought it was really funny because I was like, oh, I've taken a different philosophical <laughs> tack with like maintaining like my lawn because it's like I I really only care like if it's doing stuff like if it's helping bees and stuff. And like I have a bee house for like solitary bees <laughs> that I built last year, so like it helps like all these pollinators and but it's just like all these things. I just I I just want it to be wild and like full of bees. <laughs> I don't know, that sounds weird. Like I, sort of... I just love your like solitary home for solitary bees like i just always think of these little bees being <laughs> like just... i'm a lone wolf live alone die alone <laughs> a lot of them are like newly divorced they're starting their life over <laughs> right oh, right we have a lot of mosquitoes here and we were thinking about getting a bat house nice a bat house but we haven't gotten it together yet but that's pretty cool i want to get a bat house but then i found out you have to put the bat house like ridiculously high up in a tree and i was just like i don't think i can get up that high in any trees i don't know <laughs> it needs to be up high and get a lot of sun and face a certain direction and uh yeah i have a friend who has one where he like put his life on the line and then he didn't hang it totally correctly and there's no bats in it and i'm like no i want an army of mosquito eradicating bats that live in tandem with my family protecting us that's what oh my, i want yeah i want to try to really make them feel like mikasa sukasa like you this is your home you have a vested interest in keeping this place mosquito free because that's another thing we've learned in the past six months is now that there was a summer we've learned that for some reason mosquitoes in new jersey find my uh, son to be the most delicious human being right He's just riddled with bug bites at all times, and it's super sad. It's a super bummer. Yeah. But so speaking of Jersey, New Jersey is the world. How's that been going? Chugging along at almost the exact same level as it was six months ago. It's been very, very fun. I feel like we figured out what the show is a lot more and really happy with it. But as far as like getting the fan base to grow, both in the numbers listening to the podcast and the Patreon signups, it's almost hilarious how consistent it so clearly has a ceiling that I can't figure out how to break through. So (laughs) my my dream of getting it to increase so that I could pay the, you know, the engineer producer more to focus on it more and more like we're all still having a lot of fun with it but it's almost hilarious to be like it this many people will listen to it and that seems to be it and then every month you see a certain number of people say oh, i'm not gonna sign up again for the patreon i'm done with it and that's a natural thing and then the number clinks clicks back up throughout the month as new people join and then it always stops it right around the same oh, point no. and i find it i find it really <laughs> fascinating and hilarious but i love it and you know that that's i remember saying to you when we last spoke of like it's just so important to me i'm like connecting and making this thing with these guys who have known since I was 13 and I think all of us involved in it have kind of said our version of that to each other of I think very clearly during the pandemic coming from different walks of life I think all of us were kind of struggling to keep our heads up and yeah. I think we all kind of found that project to be a big part of how we did so so I have a lot of love it's it's kind of my it's still like kind of my favorite thing that I'm doing I have a lot oh, nice. of yeah a lot of a lot of love a lot of love i also in the past six months just remembered this i was doing shows in austin texas and the ticket sales were not good and i was having a lot of fun talking about that on instagram i was like going on saying like hey oh, yeah. if, if you're concerned about like you know covid stuff like there will be a lot of room to social distance at my shows because no one's buying tickets and <laughs> I just, just having that, fun yeah. with it and you know i sit here i go man some of it's my popularity and then some of it is clearly covid related stuff and i've had mm-hmm. people say to me like you know you have a smart fan base and it's going to mean a lot of people who are very cautious and don't want to come out and I go okay but in one of these Instagram posts said you know and I live in New Jersey now so clearly I'm going to need a, a day gig soon so if any if any business owners out there in Jersey need help keep me in mind because I'm probably going to be filling out applications soon and I had a store <laughs> reach out to me there's this store that sell they it's a gaming store for like Dungeons and Dragons and Magic the Gathering Pokemon like you know like board games and that specific type of nerdiness and the owners reached out to me and were like you know we were a big fan of your old public access show and it always felt very empowering to us and now we own our own business and they're like we're, we know you're 
kidding, but if you do need a job, please <laughs> let us know. And I am, I am like actively considering if I should go work at this place. And then I was, I do a streaming. I, I helped build this streaming platform for a bunch of this uh, Planet Scum, it's called, and right. a bunch of comedians do shows on there. And it's been such a good thing during the pandemic. And I do this Wednesday night show, and Paul Shear was on as a guest, and I was telling him, yeah, I'm probably gonna go work at this Highlander Games in Boot, New Jersey. And he was like, you know what you should do? He's like, because I get it. And he and I had this kind of like very like honest, real conversation on the air where he's like, he's telling me how he was like, I, I filled out an application for Barnes and Noble and t didn't turn it in because I just wanted to like be in control of something during the pandemic in my work life. And he's like, I get why you want to do it. I also get how it would be kind of like a midlife crisis, but he's like, you should set up cameras and stream your shifts and we'll like have people fuck with you. We'll turn it into like an art project where you're really working at the store, but we're also doing, and I was like, that's pretty brilliant. And I called the owner of the store and he's like, we would be so down with that. So I may start working at a gaming store in Booton, New oh Jersey <laughs> and live streaming my shift soon. So that's a new thing. So a part-time job as art project. Yeah, a part-time job that's a real part-time job that also we turn into an art project. And I know my luck well enough to know like all the things I've spoken with you about, about like, I hope my special blows up. How great would it be if the Jersey thing blows up? Isn't that, I, what will blow up is me, it, this will just end with me working 40 hours a, work sell, a week selling <laughs> Magic the Gathering cards to the teens of Northern New Jersey. Right, somehow that's the that's become the most popular stream on Twitch, <laughs> is just mm -hmm. watching Chris Gethard pull an mm -hmm. eight hour shift every day. Yeah, watching me sell War hammer figurines yes i would love if this kind of like evolved again into like somehow the chris gethard show where there's just a huge audience of people who show up every time it's your shift <laughs> I could see, well they have the thing is they they have the store and then they have an attached space where people can hang out and you bring your own beer bring your own food and you play the games there yeah so there is there is actually an attached space that could lend itself to that yeah, yeah. so it could very easily turn into that who knows but that's a very funny development that i i strangely have a good feeling about out. That sounds amazing. I, I, I think that sounds really fun. I hope that works out well. I mean, uh, I, hope it, I don't know. I hope I don't, so. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. And then as you tour, you could just, you could tour with it and just work shifts at other gaming, other gaming stores. Now that's a, <laughs> seven, eight hours on a Monday or Tuesday, yeah. live stream the whole thing. <laughs> now, I don't know how much you've thought about the logistics of this, but is it going to be like multiple cameras for the live stream? Are you going to be wearing like some kind of helmet so you can, people can get the Gethard I POV? I can't wear a helmet. <laughs> I can't wear a helmet for eight hours in the gaming store. It would be incredibly distracting but i imagine that i'd have to wear like a lav mic the whole time and but yeah i might I might start doing that i'm really considering it i think i probably should sounds fun i mean i saw a guy the other day with a gopro just strapped to his chest just Great. walking around so Great. you could do like that yeah yeah maybe that's it maybe it's my maybe like a gopro iron man oh, just eight like, hours of my pov at oh a gaming God. store that would be <laughs> strange that would be real insanity for the, um, the viewer I mean, you're reinventing yeah, comedy. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I was just wondering, like, do you have any projects that you're kind of working on at the moment that are that are new? Yeah, I've actually had something come up that the contract isn't signed yet and it's not announced yet, so it could all fall apart. But I actually had a company reach out and they, it's one of these, like, one of these companies that they're basically hiring people to write sort of like short collections, like things that aren't book length. And then they mm -hmm. pay you to write like a digital book and audio book at the same time. And they reached out to me and they were like, is there any, you know, someone who is a fan of my comedy and my writing? And they reached out and I said, you know, I am writing a lot about like, like the essay you read. I said, you know, I, I have found myself just kind of writing just for medium and throwing it up about kind of the intersection of being a dad and, and having dealt with mental illness. And they were like, oh, that would be amazing. So I might mm -hmm. be writing like a little 
sort of mini book about that. And that would be a good way to fill some of the creative, you know, some of the creative void for sure, for sure. So that's an exciting thing that I actually feel good about. Awesome. I love when, yeah, when people write something and then it's their voice as well, like talk, you know, like when you can listen to them, their own voice doing the book and stuff. So that sounds great. Yeah, I hope that comes through. Yeah, it's it's, uh, going to be like 15 to 20,000 words, which I'm like, that's a lot of words, but it's attainable. And actually, I don't feel like I'll be sitting there like trying to fill space just to like fulfill some contractual obligation i'm like i'll actually have a lot to say and i'm excited to get some of those thoughts out there so that's a new thing six seven chapters on just lawn care right there i mean oh if they would let me just write lawn care books for a living that would be a dream that would be an absolute dream work at a gaming store one or two days a week lawn care tips the other few days a week that now we're talking about the career i set out for when i was 19 years old and showed up in new york city wanting to change comedy (laughs) yeah uh, it's funny because you were, when you're talking about long care, it reminded me of there's a bit that you do early on about the J. Crew mm-hmm. card, mm-hmm. and you they said the only thing that would make that perfect when you got that in the mail is also if you got a letter from your teenage self being like, "I hate everything you've become." <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really, I really, it's it's so funny you say that because I I forgot that that was a line in that <laughs> joke because it's been a few years since that one came out. Yeah, but I do. It's hard not to feel that way sometimes. Of like, man, he's out here like mowing my lawn and stressing about nonsense and I used to care so much about things that felt so important but like I said in the first time too like I actually listened back and there was a point where I was saying like I don't know about activism in my comedy and I started cringing at myself like of course you have to be activist you have to have opinions but then I actually finished the thought and said like think maybe like a 41 year old white guy who's already had a a bunch of chances can like just be humble and get out of the way after a certain point and I go yeah I think there's Mm -hmm. I think there's truth to that and in some sense yeah I'm like a real I'm like lame and mowing my lawn and my teenage self would be so disappointed disappointed but then in another sense I go well some of that is because I feel like I did fight some fights that I felt like were worth it and and they're fought now and I did my part and I feel great about that mm-hmm. and it's okay to get older and lamer and it's okay to admit that there's other people who need the spotlight and that if this is what I have to say now and that's honest then that's what's going to be best anyway that's what that's what people are going to nobody wants to see nobody likes it when you just keep forcing it as if you're still 25 or 35 when you're 41 right like got to be mm-hmm. you got to be authentic you got to be true and even in the past six months, I think there's been a lot of growth towards like realizing that that's not that's not a negative. That it's like it's jarring and it's intimidating, but it's not negative. Mm. And maybe maybe your teenage self would actually be really proud of you. I think he'd be thrilled that I was alive. I think he'd really <laughs> like my son. I think right. he'd really like the way I'm trying to interact with my son and and teach my son i think he'd be thrilled about all that stuff he'd also be like i mean you grew up in jersey so you know Matt. like he'd like be like oh like you're from that town like every like he'd be like oh man a bunch of soft weak people (laughs) like everything in jersey is like class conflict and judging each other so he'd also be like rolling his eyes that i live in some like sleepy sleepy town with a good school (laughs) system um i was gonna say oh uh this is kind of off topic but i just listened to the south jersey is also the world Oh yeah, those have been go- very fun. Yes, I'm I'm very interested to listen because that's too. your stomping grounds, right? Yeah, that's where I'm from. Well, it's funny you were talking about like you've never been to Salem County, and you go this long diatribe of how you can't imagine any time you've ever been to Salem County or why you would go, and that's exactly where I'm from. So. But I bet that's how you must have felt about like Essex County or Passaic oh, yeah. County. Why would you? No. It's they're not really. Yeah. If you live in one of those, you've made a choice that doesn't really. Yeah. Attain much with the other. I was just. I yeah. I was just. I, I was thinking about like yes. I was like this experience. This speaks to my experience 
experience. And basically, I thought North Jersey was anything. It was Camden above. Ca- see, Camden is North Jersey. To you. Camden is North Jersey for me because it's a, it's a rural urban divide as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and, sure. But and Camden. so Camden gets really urban, you know, as far as I'm. But yeah, it was it was. Yeah, you guys got into this long discussion about how South Jersey is is terrifying in a in like an existential way, yeah. or like the kind of Lovecraftian horror. Yes. Of, yes. And I was just like, "Holy shit, that's right. That explains so much." I was like, "I thought that was just me." Yeah, I was I th- terrified right? of that place. South Jersey was written by Lovecraft, and North Jersey was probably written by like like Charles Dickens describing factories. Like that's yeah. <laughs> North Jersey is Dickensian in its bleakness. Yeah. South Jersey is Lovecraftian. We were like, yeah, "Oh, that. it's yeah." I mean, it, it was it was it, yeah. I mean, it's it's that thing where I've said this before. Like, if I get murdered in a city, it's probably a murder that makes sense because it's probably somebody killed me for money or whatever. But if I get murdered in the country it's like somebody's eating me it's something it's 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 such a level more fucked up than than anything i want to even comprehend and that's why i hate going to the country now <laughs> even the lo- even like the local le- like so in jersey there's a very big thing of like teenagers really love haunted stuff and like urban legends and exploring them and every town has one and kids drive around and there's a whole magazine about it that i worked at for a while it was it was a good job but like mm-hmm. even in north jersey like the local legends will be like oh if you like go past that 7-eleven and then up that hill behind it like you go past the last house to make a right and there's a dirt road that leads to an abandoned mental hospital and it's like and you're like right there you're you're like in the 7-Eleven parking lot, and there's an abandoned <laughs> mental hospital right there. And that's part of what's nuts about North Jersey. Whereas I feel like South Jersey, it's like, oh, okay, like uh, if you get to the edge of this condo development, there's a road. And if you take it for 45 minutes, eventually the woods clear. And there's a half mile diameter circle that where nothing will grow and scientists can't find out why. And you're like, even the, even the <laughs> yeah. legends are slightly different. We are like, one is about like an overcrowded place with this like beating heart of darkness hidden in plain sight. And then the other is this spread out place that no one can comprehend yeah. or or wants to even figure out why it is the way it is there yeah i mean it's just like you go out of your house and all at night and all you're faced with is just black inky void and there's <laughs> there's nothing out there except all the horrors in your own mind turned inside yeah. out and projected you know and so yeah it, it is it's, it's a it's a it's a weird dark place yeah. I, I found it very upsetting as a child i i I bet. Anyways, sorry. Got off on this <laughs> tangent. We've, we've had you for almost an hour. I need to focus up and end this thing. So, and really, thanks so much for your time. Oh, Again, please. It's a lovely conversation. Thanks for having me. So, Chris, just uh, finally, what's next for you? Uh, you got the games. They got the part-time job at the game yeah, store. Yeah, probably going to be working sometime soon at a gaming store in Booton, New Jersey, Highlander Games. But yeah, keep getting out on the road. I've got like 15 more cities this year, and we're lining up more for next year. And hopefully, nice. we keep finding ways out of the pandemic so the shows feel more, you know. Right now, there's a path of resistance to getting to the show for me and audience members and i just feel like the more that clears the better it's going to be so just want to keep doing live shows write this little book see if that'll be the thing that takes off like maybe i thought that special was going to be the thing that took (laughs) off maybe 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 i'll just work in a gaming store and be happy who knows but yeah yeah Yeah, it might be the thing people love when comedians write books about parenting so turns out turns out so and i've got a lot to say about it right now and i do think the idea of a lot of not to spoil it all but like i've been so public about the depression stuff that people will say to me like oh you've got a son now i guess you can't kill yourself like that's (laughs) become a joke that i've heard (laughs) a bunch of times and i get why people make that joke with me but I actually when you think about it I'm like that is a very it actually is very unfair to my son and like that's a thing that I think I can say speak a lot to is like I was so scared to have a kid because of my mental illness and like 
it is not his responsibility in any way. And that's kind of the perspective I'm approaching the whole thing from is like, no, no, no. Like this idea, this romantic idea of like, oh, you've got a kid and now you've got a reason to keep going is like, no, 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 no. That's not his job. Like that's not his yeah. job. And I, I actually think that that's a, people have said that to me enough that I've really thought a lot about that perspective. And I think there's probably something good to, for me to put out there. Maybe other other people who are have their own version of, you know, who need to take their pills for whatever reason or have been mm -hmm. hospitalized who are going, I'm scared to have a kid. Like I think I might have some good perspective of like, oh no, like you're allowed, your kid is allowed to just be a kid. You're allowed to be fucked up in the brain. Mm -hmm. And there's not some romantic narrative that your kid gets tied into that and owes you anything. And that that actually removes a lot of pressure is what I'm hoping. So that's like the kind of the main thought is yeah. it's, it's not my it's not my kid's fault that he got a fucked up dad. I just got to work hard to be as healthy as I can. And all he has to do is be a kid. He doesn't owe me anything. So that's yeah. kind of the idea that I want to sink my that's teeth beautiful. into. Yeah, that's because I mean, I don't know, like. I've had my issues with mental health and uh, anxiety and depression and all kinds of things like that. And, and yeah, thinking then like having a kid and thinking about like, you know, we either are, or we know people who have like had parents who weren't dealing with their shit. And then that, and we've seen how that affects people. And, you know, you know, and, but I think a big part of fix breaking that pattern is just understanding, you know, yeah. and like taking responsibility for your mental health and like thinking, you know, anyways, not, right. yeah not making it their problem exactly exactly it's just like what what is this this kid like I, I was saying before almost about like people getting to shows and me getting of like like my baggage can't be a path of resistance for him he didn't do mm -hmm. anything so like he doesn't need to be tied into some vision of now you're here kid i'm gonna now i got no you're this muse that's gonna keep me from being sad it's like oh no i'm gonna get sad and it's not your fault if i do it was happening long before mm -hmm. you were here and it was never your that's job so to fix good. it it was never your <laughs> yeah. job to fix it like yeah never and i think that that's that's the thing I'd like to oh it's some of the jokes I'm already coming up with in it and I'm like oh they're gonna tell me to take this out because it's way too dark but hopefully I can slip <laughs> enough through because I think that's really thing. beautiful to be honest because I think one of the best things is when you can yeah. own your own behavior you know like with my kids sometimes if I do like stress out or I lose my temper or whatever and I'm so grateful that I'm able to say hey I'm really sorry that I just yelled or that I just because that that wasn't your fault that was because I was stressed out and I was and I wish yeah. you know that's what I desperately wished I, I'd got as a kid but instead like I'd be blamed for stuff that wasn't my fault and I feel grateful for now that I can that I can change that you know like I don't have to repeat that pattern yeah. and yeah. they don't have to yeah. take that on as theirs like it is our stuff and we can deal with our own stuff and you know I think that's that's an exciting change that I think is definitely a result of the awareness about me mental health now you know and that it's okay to talk about it I hope yeah. so and I hope that like I feel like we're kind of of the first generation and not even born into this generation like during our lifetime it has shifted where it doesn't feel shameful to discuss yeah. this stuff I think the they really appreciate it when like when I say sorry I think my son yeah. you know my sons but particularly my you know almost four-year-old I think he really gets it and he'll, he'll be like that's okay so there's a balance like not everything is then obviously our fault either like as in there are times where you have to say look you can't right. behave like that and but it's how you do it i think that's true and i bet that the times that you are humble enough to apologize and let them see like oh no that was wrong i shouldn't have done that and you know mm -hmm. means that when you do go hey you're you're driving me crazy right now and you need to cut the shit well now they know that that's you're willing to admit when it's not their fault so it means when you tell them it is their fault i bet there's actually a lot of value yeah. as a parent with that because they understand like okay like you will step up and take ownership of it when it's your fault so if you're telling me it's my <laughs> Well, I guess I got to take ownership of it too. Because... Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's not just a. 
a pattern. More so, you know? like, I think yeah. he's starting to get it a bit more now he's getting a bit older. Whereas my two and a half year old, I mean, there's no reasoning with that kid. <laughs> he's. Yeah. yeah my, uh, he's, my guy has, that's another, in the past six months, all of a sudden my son has all these opinions. <laughs> And that is, that is the amount. And they're of, all really far right. It's very it's crazy. Disturbing. It's really wild. The politics was given this. No, but like he really, the amount of time that he just tells me how I'm doing things wrong and how I should be doing everything differently. And I'm like, you don't even know what you're talking about. Like, yeah, he's the best. He's the best. He just, is, is it just like about your studies, critiquing your studies? Like that punchline doesn't work. Why do you keep, why do you keep trying to do it? That story's got to be tighter. We, we did a live version of New Jersey is the world and he came to the beginning of it and uh one of the first things we did was there's this the New Jersey transit is the train system in New Jersey and there's this safety video that someone sent us that's uh -huh. just the most poorly assembled craziness like they used to show it in schools and teach kids not to jump in front of trains as a game but like <laughs> it's just stilted and stunted and it's not a very well no offense it's all kid actors but they weren't getting great direction like and we showed it and two weeks after the show I was feeding my son breakfast and he just went daddy I liked your show <laughs> and it, it was like two weeks after I was like oh Oh, I didn't even know you remembered the show. He goes, I like trains. I really like trains, Daddy. I was like, okay. Video of trains. That's what you took out of it. Great. I I love the idea that in your son's head, what you do for a living is show people yes. videos of trains. I travel around the country and I teach people train safety. That probably would be, I mean, I'm not, if I take the job at the gaming, gaming store, I mean, I'm headed in that direction. Like, that's... Right. We check in with, with you like five years down the road. Yeah, I just tell people about not to jump in front of trains. It's kind yeah. of calling now. Yeah, it kind of started with career suicide and then actual train companies started hiring me to focus specific, not just suicide, but train related. Anyways, so Chris, this has been such a delight to, to catch up with you. If people want to check out your stuff, there's Half My Life is the new special. Mm -hmm. Find it on iTunes, Vimeo, Google all those places it's it's one of these crazy you just if you just look it up you'll go oh there's yeah. ni 19 things i already have on my phone where i can download this listen to the album i listened to the album earlier today thanks all the places you get that stuff where can people find you online anything you, uh well there's new jersey's the world please yeah sign up for chris's patreon he's trying to break through that oh, which feels yeah. like the most new jersey thing ever is that there is x amount of people who are willing to listen about new jersey and that is that is it and that is very jersey in its own right yeah. Yeah, we know our ceiling. Oh, yeah. But yeah, some also oh. at chrisgeth.com and I'm all over the social media and, and whatnot. Follow him, find him, go see him live if you can. One of the greats, Chris Gethard. I really, again, I'm a huge fan. I don't mean to fan out on you. Oh. But this, this interview's over, so I'll just embarrass <laughs> myself, which is that huge fan. Thanks. Been, yeah. I'm really looking forward to this. It was and weird to been... listen back six months ago. Oh, th the storm was a brewing and I didn't totally yeah. realize it then and I can hear I can hear it in there yeah. yeah it's cool that was kind of the point of the show you've really yeah that's really helped us feel good about the premise that's yeah. great that's it was what cool. we want from people cool. so to reflect on their lives but but thanks again Chris and um yeah. and have thank a great you so day much, Bye. yeah you too thank you guys thanks so much <laughs>I was just super excited <laughs> about going back to Australia and my prediction of yeah. was that obviously we would be going back to Australia and I think that's all obviously been quite sad because you know like we've had everything lined up and in place we booked flights months ago and those flights have yeah. been cancelled and we're now part of the thousands of Australian citizens you know unable to get home and it's crazy like I'm part of a group now called 
Australians stranded in the UK. It's on Facebook. And, you know, we just get sort of daily updates and everyone's just like, oh my gosh, my flights have just been cancelled. I can't get home. You know, people have all kinds of issues, you know, like my granddad's really unwell or like people have really sad stuff, you know, like where they've they've not been able to make it home to see their mum before their mum has passed away and that kind of stuff. And you just think it's just hard to believe really because it's literally because of the Australian government's stance on quarantines, like as in the fact that they have made, they've cut the quarantine numbers so low that only 1500 people get in every week and that will take six months for all the people that are over here to get home then you know like anyway it's just really hard and we tried to get DFAT flights which are the Mm. repatriation flights and they sold out within a minute like we got the email straight away we like went straight to the computer filled in the information but obviously we've got four in our family trying to get home if you're just a single yeah. person or there are two of you, it's really quick to fill in that information. Whereas if you've got four people to fill in, by the time we clicked book, it had already sold out, you know, which was heartbreaking. Like, honestly, yeah. I spent most of Thursday crying. It was just very, very sad. Oh, I'm so but sorry. I, I'm yeah. feeling more positive now. I'm like, you know what? Like, I always enjoy Christmas here. It's a nice period of time. Like, it's a nice, <laughs> like, you know. Whatever. You you have been talk- going on about how you want a nice, warm Christmas like, <laughs> since we started this podcast. I'm finding, I'm finding the, the positives. Don't pretend pretend like you enjoy a, a cozy british christmas i mean now. it's not it's not a real christmas for me because for me christmas is like hot like the hot wind in your face and the smell of right. gum leaves like that's christmas but yeah i can pretend that like you know cold and snow and like mulled wine i can pretend that that all means christmas you know and you know you have your family you have your boys yeah and and will you know and you know you might be sick of looking at them but <laughs> you know what i'm lucky enough to have like a beautiful husband who i really love and beautiful boys who i really love and also my mother-in-law is awesome and very excitingly my uh, sister-in-law and her husband and her kids have just got back from canada they've been over there for a couple of years and so our kids get to have cousins over here for the oh, first nice. time in years you know sammy had never oh, met his cousins and it was just yeah it's been really lovely so i i think it's actually really nice in some ways you know it's almost worked out yeah. for the best that they get to have a bit more time together and i th- i think things will work out in the end i, I know it, it's it's frustrating to be in this limbo and um to not be able to be with people you care about it's very strange it's a very Um, strange feeling and also like i'd sold so much stuff like i sold my favorite chair i've sold loads of my favorite plants and just to try and get ready i sold the car i agreed to selling the car and then thankfully i've managed to to cancel that sale the the person was really understanding which was a relief but you know we just because we genuinely were going to get on a flight in a few weeks and now it's like oh well and we had our flat all ready to let out and yeah it's been intense Anyway, Stan, super positive. How about you? I I have still quit my job. I've still been. I was gonna say. So the big news in the intro was that I'd quit Mm -hmm. my job, and that is still the case. I still am not working, which is still great. But my employer got the last laugh when I got a twelve hundred pound tax bill. What from the government? Because they never paid any taxes on me. Oh my god. (laughs) Yeah. So that was really shitty, and uh, I didn't realize it at the time because. I don't know. They had some weird like system where you don't get your check stub that's on like an online platform that I never bothered to look at. So I didn't realize they were not withholding my taxes. But it was very annoying because so like half the time I worked there, I was working for the university temp agency. And then the other half, I was employed directly by the college. And it's that period where I was employed directly by the college that they never paid me because there's like the first 
10,000 pounds or whatever you make isn't mm-hmm. taxed. And they were like, that's fine unless you had another job earlier in the year. And I was like, I did have another job earlier in the year. I worked for you. <laughs> and I would think that you would have picked up on that because I was working for you. <laughs> anyway, so I ended up having to pay 1,200 pounds to the... Um, government which i would have had to pay anyways but it was annoying to get this bill oh um, no that's so painful that so, so excellent revenge there hey <laughs> <laughs> my ex-employer good well done anyways my my prediction was that that the movies would oh, be oh yeah I don't think the talkies <laughs> the talkies <laughs> have you heard about the flicker shows boys they go down to the nickelodeon yeah i don't think that they're back it's a shame i don't know i haven't been to the, i still i'm still very paranoid and haven't been to the movies except for well i've been to the movies twice but they've been both like special baby screenings oh, nice. so there's a local th- cinema called the ultimate picture palace and uh, every other thursday at like noon they show like an adult movie not an adult movie, not like a porn <laughs> movie, but, like a movie for adults <laughs> but like um it's it's for parents that have a child less than one year old and so they'll show like i don't know last movie we saw was the new m night Shyamalan movie old so oh really awesome good. so it's fun so yeah but everybody else in there is a parent the lights aren't all the way down there's a changing table in the theater so if you need to change your baby you don't have to That's leave the theater nice. yeah it's really <laughs> Nice, nice so. except for when like one kid does like a massive explosion and then everyone's just like, oh yeah, man. Everybody's pretty understanding. Like, you know, other people's babies squawk and you're like, that's eh, all right. Because, you know, but Tavish has been a couple times to the movies now and um, slept through most of them. So. Oh, that's so awesome. I wish I'd done that. I never did that. I always, I heard about it, but I never did it. Oh, one good thing was my indefinite leave to remain came through. So that was oh, nice. really nice to have that because just to not have to think about visas for, well, hopefully forever. <laughs> so it's indefinite to leave to remain so if you go to australia for like a year or so you just have to make sure you come back within two years so you can go out of the country but you have to you can't be out of the country for more than two years all right. Well, if you need to come back and visit for visa reasons, you can you can crash on our. Oh, that's so kind mm-hmm. of you. Thank you. Hopefully, you've got a, quite enough room for like the entire family. <laughs> oh no, just you. The, your family. I don't know where just, they're going to uh, stay, but you can oh, stay geez, here. That's really kind. Well, they don't need to come back. Well, that's for... true. They're British citizens, but they will. We'll, we'll yeah. all come back. We'll come back to visit. So we're back. We're back on the new episodes. Releasing new episodes. This is exciting. Mm. Had a month off. For, are you excited for season two? Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Of... It's literally all I think about every day. <laughs> You know what? <laughs> I am excited. You can quit this podcast whenever you want. <laughs> I'm excited. It's nice. It's nice. It's nice to see you again. It's nice to like chat to people. Yeah. What an absolute epic episode to be able to talk to Chris Gethard for our first guest for season two. Like that was really cool to speak to him. And uh, yeah, I'm excited for for this this new season. Yeah, so it should be should be exciting. Hope everybody enjoys it. We should, probably should have told people we we're going on break. Hopefully, people will follow us to season two. Even though maybe people were just like, oh, they just quit. That's true. <laughs> but yeah, but thanks everybody for listening. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thanks thanks uh, for coming back for season two. Or if this is your first episode, thanks for giving us a shot. Hope you enjoy it. We'll have exciting episodes coming up bi-weekly, new guests all the time. Interesting people. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you wherever you can. And that really helps people find the podcast. Uh, and you can follow us on Six Months Later Pod on all the things. Or let us know how you're feeling directly by emailing us at sixmonthslaterpod at gmail.com. Yeah. And if you're looking for Tara, where can people find uh, you, you, Tara? You can find me on Instagram and TikTok. My name is Tara.the.ham, as in like the meat. Tara the ham, mm. that's me. I'm also Tara Newton-Wordsworth on Facebook. I don't do much on there, but feel free to follow me on there as well. I think I'm on Twitter, but I, I don't care about Twitter. What about you, Matt? Yeah, I'm Shadorn on a couple of things, mostly on Instagram. If you follow me on Instagram, you can see the upsetting toy that I won for my child at the Aww. carnival. It is almost certainly haunted. <laughs> but yeah, but thanks 
Thanks, everybody, for listening. Yeah, tell a friend. And we'll see you again next week. In six months. Bye. Bye. Uh, how does this show start? We've done it for like a month. Uh, I haven't been done this for a month. <laughs> Hello, welcome to the show six months later, blah, blah, blah. Oh, wow. Is that your Matchador impression? Because it's hurtful.